I'm Sarah Grace McCandless, and this is On Brand, where we take a look at brands through the lens of the consumer and this desire to create, maintain, and cultivate true connection and relationship. Today's show, I am thrilled to be bringing you this guest, uh, representing an industry that I actually have a little history in as well. And it's an area that I really feel is where the origin of brand advocacy really began. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, I want to introduce you to today's guest. Welcome to On Brand, Jan Jones, who is the manager of brand development and publishing operations for Legendary Comics. Jan, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see your face. Oh, it's so great to see your face, too. I wish it were in person. So, um, Jan, why don't we start first? Uh, so you work with Legendary Comics in the comics industry, and it's an area that you've worked in for quite some time. It's a really fascinating industry. Why don't we talk a little bit about your specific role to kind of set the stage with Legendary Comics? Absolutely. So I am, as said, the manager of brand development and pub ops. Um, I keep the trains running. I make sure people get paid. Um, but that is just a small part of the job. It's also really establishing us as a brand in the comics industry. Um, you know, we have been around for a while and this is our latest incarnation. And, you know, we jokingly, lovingly call it Legendary 2.0. And it's really getting the message out about who we are and what we stand for and um, what we have to contribute to the publishing space. And it's getting that message out. And that is currently what's taking up a lot of my days. Yeah, and you know, it's a space too. I mean, there are some juggernauts in this space um, that have been around for some time. And then there are a lot of other publishers who are out there who've kind of come to the table. Um, what is that message for Legendary Comics? What is that kind of brand overview, mission, and vision that, that you're working to get to the space? Um, you know, I think it is when we first started, we were a very, um, I like to say, bro action oriented uh, publisher. It was very reflective of who was in charge. It was, you know, all male. And, um, you know, when my boss, Robert Napton, was given the department um, two years ago, he brought on uh myself and our editor Nikita Kanakante and I joke we are the most diverse team in comics um and you know it's we want to put out books that reflect who we are um we do get to do play in the licensed space and support our franchises but we also have a really op exciting opportunity to bring uh, marginalized and uh POC and LGBTQ creators to the forefront uh, to tell compelling, unique, uh, character-driven stories. And, you know, there is a lot of that, but there needs to be more. And that's really important. So that is what we're trying to do. Um, inclusive storytelling, authentic storytelling. Um, you know, that is that is where uh, we want to focus. It sounds to me a little bit like the, the brand itself is very much defined by the stories that you are trying to tell. Would you say that that's accurate? You know, I think it it is. And I think, um, you know, we try to be more focused. Um, I think in, in the beginning, it was, it was very, it was very male domin dominated, very action oriented. And, you know, I think seeing the shift in the market and seeing, you know, who we are, we want, we want that to be reflected. And, and there's so much white space in that category. And it's so it's a really exciting opportunity. 
Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned this uh, and you and I know this firsthand, right? Mm-hmm. Because I used to work at this industry and you've been in it for a long time. Um, you know, there, there are some, I guess, some misconceptions and some assumptions made um, of, first of all, what types of stories are being told in comics? You really just uh, shattered that with what you just told us and some really <laughs> innovative moves, right? And then also who these are for. So I'm curious um, how you would describe what that, what does that look like today? What does a comics uh, or graphic novel reader look like? And what, you know, what, how are these stories shifting and evolving from maybe the superhero genre, which has a space and a need, but it's not the only story to be told, right? Right. And I think that there are really two buckets and, you know, there is the, you know, action science, uh, action superhero space, which is predominantly male tending to be older now, you know, they're, they're aging up and they're not adding fans as, as much, but there is a very hungry, you know, YA middle grade reader market that is hungry for this content and they read, they buy, they Court, um, and they want to see stories that reflect who they are. And, and so it's, it's really exciting. You know, when I first got into it, when we first got into it, there wasn't this space for it. And we've just seen it. I think um, manga has been a big influence. I think, you know, literary has big, been a big influence. But I think we're going to see uh, the shift into um, these I mean, I think we're already seeing it with books like Raymond Telgemeier's books and Dog Boy and Wimpy Kid. We're already seeing that shift and we're already seeing like large NYT, you know, best selling titles, you know, skyrocket in numbers that the superhero genre can only dream about. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, and it and it. Uh, gives me this um, idea that we should probably pause because you and I really we can talk inside baseball on this all the time, right? Right. Like when I'm talking to different guests for this show and really the the heartbeat of the show is about connection. And I talk about, you know, I, I look for these stories where I can talk about companies and brands and how they're really putting connection at the forefront or what does connection look like and mean? When I think about your industry, there's kind of three pillars here. There's the connection that you make with the creators you're working with. So mm-hmm. artists, writers. Then there's the uh, the connection that you make with with where these where these books um, and stories are coming out. So you have a direct market, which is for those who aren't familiar with that term, is more of kind of a comic shop, um, brick and mortar. And then you have like your book market um, as well, and and some digital channels now um, too. And then you have the readers, right? Uh, the fans. So three things to think about here. Um, what are some key considerations uh, either to some of these or all of these or each of these? And do you think that that's changed in recent years, especially with COVID? Um, you know, I think it's changed depending on who you are and who you want to reach out to. Uh, you know, for us, getting into that direct market space isn't really, we're fighting for scraps. Like 85% of every dollar that gets spent gets goes to the big two, Marvel and DC. So at the end of the day, that investment for us, you know, we love them and it's important, but you know, there's only so much headway we can make. So we really want to connect with the, um, with the book sales market. Um, and then another key thing is libraries and educators. They are an untapped, they support these books and they can make a huge difference in, in how a book performs. Um, and the fans, and we want to, we want to have an authentic communication with these fans. Um, you know, we, have been these fans. We are these fans, you know, and um, 
you know, for me, <clears throat> it's about growing up and not seeing my face represented in what media was and having this opportunity to help change that is so big and it's so important. And, and we're really excited about that. And you've, you know, you've been in the industry, you've been with some of the kind of the Davids and the Goliaths too. Do you think that um, you're at an advantage now, particularly with Legendary and also kind of uh, just where we are in society of being willing to maybe embrace um, and even looking for these different stories? Absolutely. I think, you know, Legendary, you know, we're small but mighty. We do, you know, 12, 10 to 12 titles a year is our goal. Half of those are licensed and half of those are original IP. And we have a real opportunity there. And, you know, to, to tell these stories, we aren't, um, when you deal with licensed characters, sometimes you can be restricted by those. And it's actually great to see that that is changing. Um, you know, we're seeing a big shift in that with Marvel and with um, DC and even in, in branches like Star Wars, they have, you know, LGBTQ characters now and they're including pronouns. And, you know, that's really exciting to see. Yeah. And, you know, you talked a little bit, too, about um, kind of the shift in some of these channels and priorities. Let's talk a little bit. Where does digital play um, from a publishing standpoint, from getting these stories? And then I'll ask you about how it plays in, in terms of connecting with your readers and your fans. But let's start with the publishing side and maybe uh, share with our listeners um, what are the options now in that space? What does that look like and how is Legendary uh, participating? Sure. So for the digital space, you know, it's it has been a, for comics traditionally, it's very much like a push pull. And it's it's hard because for digital to truly be embraced, we would need to lower those prices. And then by doing that, we would end up destroying um, the direct market, which is your comic book retailers and your small sellers and who have supported the industry since its creation. And Nobody wants to do that. So everyone's just kind of waiting and holding their breath. Um, but there are platforms. There's Comixology to do that. You know, we see, um, you know, we keep taking meetings with these companies who tell us that they are going to be the Spotify of the digital comedy you know, for comics. Um, no one has taken off yet. No one has fully embraced the platform. I think there's a few steps still. I think we need to consider price. Um, I think in some ways, we need to change the way we tell the stories and um, accessibility. Uh, I think you'll see the rise of, um, you know, some of the platforms like Webtoon and Tapas who bring, you know, free and sometimes paid content. It's an exciting space to watch. And, you know, I think COVID has changed some of this as well. Um, you know, the stores not being open, you know, in the first few months of the pandemic, new books weren't coming out. Uh, Legendary had shifted from a floppy, which is your 22 page comic that you, you know, you're used to seeing um, to a graphic novel format because floppies weren't performing for us. Uh, and the companies that did rely on that business took a big hit because there wasn't the accessibility. And there's, I mean, we could talk all day about distribution, but I think this is going to be a some very interesting few years. And I think, you know, like any industry, the retailers who adapt and who are reading the room will survive and thrive. I think there's a lot of opportunity, but it's there's going to be some growing pains. You, you mentioned kind of the floppy, the single issue kind of, uh, and it really made me think about how we've moved, how we kind of consume 
story, right? So uh, instead of like it's issue one of eight and eventually will be collected into a trade paperback or graphic novel, um, maybe it's all coming out at once. And it makes me think of things like a new season of, you know, Gamut or something like that, where I can kind of get to all of it. I can take it one week at a time if I want to or not. Do you think that uh, that's benefited the comics industry is that we're seeing these adaptations uh, to behaviors in other areas of entertainment as well? Um, I think it depends on the market. I think the older superhero audience is having a harder time with it. The mm. younger audience loves it. Like the readership on Webtoons, if you take a look at, and Webtoons is a free digital platform. They release books on uh, their chapters, you know, on a weekly basis. Some have like two or three drops a week, some have one. And the readership is in the hundreds of thousands. Wow. And this would not be attainable in the direct market and it wouldn't be sustainable in the direct market, but they're thriving because they're teaching people how to read it in a new way. It's available on your phone or your digital device, not in print at all. And so I think we will see I think we'll see different shifts depending on what you like, um, because we have, you know, companies have tried to take, you know, Marvel stories or DC to a platform like Webtoons, and it hasn't translated. So it, it's interesting. Do you think that the growth of digital is helping in terms of discovery um, with a lot of your stories? And then ultimately, is there a um, kind of proxy connection uh, play there too, connecting with new readers that maybe you wouldn't have necessarily gotten in front of if you were just relying on in-store experience. Oh, absolutely. I think it has opened the door, not only to new stories, but new creators and new talent. You know, you have people who, mm -hmm. you know, some of the best titles, uh, the best read titles are um, just like a slice of life about a girl and her cat and her boyfriend, you know, that never would have found an audience in the comic book market, but here she has a voice and a huge platform. And it, so it's really great to see. Um, I think it's breaking down a lot of the barriers. It's, you know, leveling the playing field somewhat. Um, so it's, it's great. It's so great to see this because I think in times past, they would not have had those opportunities. Yeah, and that makes me think too. Um, I'm thinking about shifting from in-person experiences to digital, and one of the cornerstones of the comics market, of course, is the convention um, scene and circuit. Um, you and I have seen that evolve so drastically. So, over years. so different, right? Um, you know, for those who don't know, I was I was marketing director at Dark Horse Comics for several years. And so I was the one running running the booth at these shows. And it was a big part of this industry, it still is. And what we saw was it became less about the comic convention and more about like entertainment con, right? We had all these studios coming in and uh, networks and celebrities, a lot of people trying to get their project in front of this audience. Um, before we talk about where that's gone, why, like, that, again, this kind of gets to the root of this. I think this is sort of the origin of a brand advocate, if you will. The, the fandom in comics is unprecedented. Why do you think that is? And why do you think others started to, to try to tap into it as well? Um, I think it's people who 
are really dedicated. And, you know, I, I think in male spaces, it can be kind of hard to find your, you know, so-called tribe or your family. You know, women, we have, you know, crafts and cooking and stuff. And, and, and for males, it can be a little bit harder to form those bonds. But if you have someone like, dude, did you read, you know, the latest issue of Spider-Man? You know, so much about what made the comic book stores so awesome was the sense of community. You would go in on new book day and you would, you know, know your clerks, they could make suggestions, you would see other people. It was a social platform before there were social platforms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the dedication, um, you know, fandom was a little less toxic at that point. I think, you know, having the rise of social media has given people a voice. And I think sometimes they discover that they can't they get more attention with, you know, anger than they do with happiness. Um, so it's, it's just been really interesting. I think that it was a sense of community though, and it was a sense of ownership and investment. And, you know, once brands saw this, it was like, oh my, we have this whole untapped market. And now, you know, we, we look at the rise of, of you know, the, the geek when, you know, 15 years ago, if you went out wearing, you know, a comic book shirt, you would get made fun of. And now we have whole companies who are just like letting your geek flag fly and, and they're, they're, they're making money. And do you think that's more inclusive now too? Do you think that that's shifted from maybe being very focused towards a male audience do you, and is legendary, um, has legendary playing a role in that as well? You know, I think legendary, we will be playing a bigger role in the upcoming years. Like, um, Books take a while to come out. You know, we're we're working two years on titles, uh, but I think we will have a voice in that space. Um, but I do think it has contributed to opening up the market to different people and different fans and the acceptance of different fans. Um, I remember being at a convention in you know the early two thousands, and someone came up to me and said. Uh, you know, things were a lot easier before you guys got involved. And it was a man talking about before women got involved in comics. And it was like, really, dude? And now, I mean, that is, those those ceilings are falling and they're being shattered and those doors are breaking down. And as we see that happen, we'll see the interest and the reach just expand. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, again, we're, you know, we both speak from experience. And, and when I was in the industry, you and I were like, no, no two of 10, well, it felt like 10 women at the time. Yeah. It probably it's not accurate, but it felt like it at the time. So it's nice to see that shift. And when you speak about legendary comics and, and the types of stories that you're telling, again, I just feel like these are not the things that one might assume or expect from a comics or graphic novel world. Um, going back to the convention scene, you know, obviously it's been a very different year. Um, and one of the things I think that we knew um, about that the convention scene, whether it was Comic-Con in San Diego or, you know, uh, New York Comic-Con, Emerald City in Seattle, um, WonderCon, right? Uh, they People were coming to that more and more in person. There was a buzz, a feeling there, and people were very vocal about their experiences. We didn't have that this year. I think it might have been the first year the Comic-Con was ever canceled and maybe the history of the show. Um, how did you pivot? Tell me a little bit about that experience and what you learned from it as well. Um, for us, it's been great. <laughs> I mean, I, this it's going to sound terrible, but we had a real opportunity. You know, a normal legendary panel um, will draw, you know, anywhere from 50 to, you know, a few hundred people, depending on what we talk about. Um, we uh, have MonsterVerse, which is Godzilla and Kong. And um, we did an online panel in March for uh, to talk about this. 
and it was or in May and the organic reach on it was or our reach on YouTube was about 12,000 views. But the organic reach of people making their own content and their own videos was, you know, 100 plus thousand, um, you know, mentions. And that is huge. That is attention that we never would have gotten had we not been in lockdown. You know, we've really been able to pivot and invest in our online presence um, for these conventions. Uh, We have an opportunity and we're really taking advantage of it. Um, You know, I hear a lot of the Hall H, which would be like your Disney and your Marvel and your DC. They're really disappointed in how conventions are turning out because their reach has been kneecapped. While ours is just like, and we've just increased our reach by, you know, thousands of percents. And it's mm. really nice. Yeah. I mean, again, for those who've never maybe, you know, seen reports of these different conventions, they're, you know, part of the experience though, there's a lot of waiting and yeah. there is, um, there's limited capacity in some of these rooms too. So there's a buzz that you get from being like an energy but you just described this advantage. You're able to reach more people and people who may not have even been able to go. Sometimes it's very hard to get tickets to these things. People buy them years, you know, year in advance. So do you think that that's something that will stay beyond, you know, kind of this lockdown situation that we're in now? And when things start to lift, what do you think will remain and what's the benefit of that? Um, I think when things lift, we're going to see a really big shift in convention strategy. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Disney and uh, Warner Brothers have both proven that they don't need the big conventions to make a splash with uh, Celebration, D23. um, They are able to dominate the news cycle alone with whatever announcements are showing. You know, DC did fandom this year and released Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of exclusive content and they don't. They don't need to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a booth and giveaways. They can just do that and have it all be about them. Um, I think for us going into that, you know, the YouTube space, um, you know, we've launched our social platforms this year. We are really making the most of it. And we're taking these learnings of, you know, what we've done and what we've, you know, resulted. And we're going to apply those to the future. Yes, the world will open up again. um, But I don't know, you know, economy, you know, crowds, it's going to be a year or two before conventions are really back in the swing of things and we're comfortable attending. So, um, so we're just going to make the most of it. (laughs) Well, and you've just uh, kind of teed up a great segue there because I wanted to ask you about social. You mentioned Mm -hmm. you've been kind of really launching into more of um, leveraging social. So I'm curious, how do you use that at Legendary? What are the types of interactions and engagements that you have? Are you seeing... Uh, representation at sort of all stages. Like um, when I think about sort of a customer journey, it's like the, who are you? I'm checking you out and kind of getting to know you to um, becoming, um, in this case, a a reader or a fan or a consumer. Um, And then staying with you, talking about you, telling everybody how great you are. So what are you seeing on that spectrum in terms of your social engagements? I know that I think you're behind that, aren't you? Yes. So, um, you know, I, I have launched the social channels. I have some help from um, our wonderful social media person, uh, Robbie McClure over at Legendary. He helps, he works with me. Uh, but we've you know, really been building these social, uh, Twitter and Insta were launched this year. Uh, Facebook we had, but we didn't really curate it in a way that made sense. Um, and there's a real opportunity for us, you know, especially for the original slate of books. We get a lot of pe- people 
in the door with our MonsterVerse and our Pacific Rim and our other things. My goal is to get them in the door with that and then show them that we do other things and, you know, really have them be interested. And maybe it's not for them, but maybe they know someone, you know, they have a little sister, they have a girlfriend, they have, you know, mm-hmm. a cousin who would be interested. Um, and it's, it's a lot of work, but it's really fun because it's the one space where I really get to uh, inject a lot of my personality into. I don't want this to just, you know, be, you know, 10 social posts a day of just like, bye, bye, bye. Like, I want to engage with people. I want to make them think. I want to make them, uh, you know, occasionally look at my cat. Um, those, those cat posts get a lot of engagement. Um, but yeah, it's it, it really is about developing that voice and that friendly voice that, you know, is a little irreverent and a little bit playful and sarcastic, but also like you trust. And, and so, you know, it's it's been it's been really fun. You know, it's really interesting the way that you describe that, though, too, because a lot of brands have sort of these uh, pillars that define them. Right. Two to three words or sort of flagship things. And the way that you described it um, really ladders back to how you described the brand in the beginning. When you talk about the stories that you're telling, that it's reflecting who your team is as well. You're a part of the brand. That's not always the case. And I think that that's really interesting that you get to bring yourself into it and also bring your readers into the brand more than you might see in a different industry. Does that feel accurate in terms of particularly of of, how you're talking on social and engaging on social? Absolutely. I mean, we're right in, I'm right in the thick of it, you know, and I, I, I edit a few titles um, and I am not afraid to recommend things that aren't ours to other people. If, you know, there's a new Junji Ito book from Viz, I'm going to talk about that because that's what I love. And it's like, well, maybe somebody else will also like that and see, Ooh, what else do they have going on? But, you know, I think, you know, I see I've worked agency life and I see there was sometimes this big disconnect between the people who were making the content and. Oh, gosh, how do I say this? The people who were making the content didn't have a connection to the product. They didn't have that kind of viewpoint. Um, you know, a lot of it was just, you know, marketing teams going in and hiring agencies and farming it all out. And there wasn't that connection. There wasn't the firsthand knowledge. And I think that shows and it can be disingenuous and it can feel preachy. You know, we're really I I love having, you know, being able to do this and be a part of it. And I think that if we were a bigger team, it might not be as authentic. I might get more sleep, but it might not be as authentic. (laughs) Well, if you figure out how to get more sleep, please share those tips with me because I what's that? 2020. It's not existent. That's actually a great kind of segue and, and kind of where I want to um, take things to to round out our conversation here. You talked about, you did have some experience in agency. I have two. And um, there was a disconnect. You described it, um, a lack of authenticity. You don't have that problem, right? Or that challenge necessarily with, with legendary comics. And it's something that you've cultivated in, in your career there too. So I go back to the comics fan base is, is one of the original and the most vocal, right? And yeah. influential kind of brand advocacy groups. Uh, where do you think other brands and companies can learn from this? Um, and maybe even adopt themselves regardless of their vertical. Do you think authenticity is something that we should all be embracing regardless of our, our brand? 
I think if it fits your brand, you know, I mean, I think there are some big juggernauts, you know, like the 3M where it would just seem weird. <laughs> but I think if you can inject that personality, if you can inject that authenticity and your genuine love and enthusiasm for what you're working on, I say do it. You know, it's not so many people are just trying to be cool and I'm not cool, you know, and, and I'm OK with that. And I. <laughs> I, I want that to be reflected that I am I'm doing this not just because it's a job and it's a paycheck but because I genuinely love it and you know um, and I hope that some of that love that I put out there kind of is felt and is like oh you know what this is kind of rad this is kind of awesome I should take take a look at this too and uh, I don't know it's it's fun and it's weird and and I know it's very unique. Um, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, you can, I can, you know, I know you have a real passion for the space and you always have. Um, and I, you know, again, just to kind of close out the conversation here, where does passion play in terms of creating connection with your, um, with your fans, with your consumers, with your customer, we have lots of different words. Where yeah. does passion lie, um, in that, uh, pursuit? I think the passion for it is really important. You know, it's, you and I both know we work in publishing. It's not, you know, I, when people used to ask me about it, I would be like, well, do you like ramen? Because, you know, we're not the best paying industry. And, you know, if you, you do it because you love it, not because you want to be a millionaire, because that's probably not going to happen. But I think the passion is really important. I think it's important for with fans. I think it's important with talent. You know, I've been on both sides of the talent I've been a freelancer and I've been a company person and knowing that and being able to genuinely, you know, be concerned and talk about and, and care about the people you work with, I think is really important. Um, you know, we've both built up these relationships years where we can get call someone who would be otherwise out of our reach and ask for, you know, hey, can you do a cover? And they'll say yes, because it's us, because they know us, because they know our passion for it. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of benefits to it. And I, I know not everyone has that luxury. It's it is a privilege and it is a luxury to be able to do that. But it's also a lot of hard work. It's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of sleepless nights. It's a lot of spinning plates. But I think when you really believe in something and you really know what you're doing is important and that it will have a greater impact beyond just what you do it makes it a lot easier and it makes it feel a lot more genuine. Do you think that brands who maybe have lost their passion, do you think that they can maybe find their way back to it through their fans or consumers or customers? I do. I do. I think, you know, it's so funny. I look at something like the Mandalorian um, on Star Wars and the Star Wars universe. And by going small, they've made it feel big again. And they've, they've embraced that. And I love that, you know, it's not about, you know, giant explosions. It's about small storytelling that is relatable and, you know, fun. Um, you know, but I do, I do think it's possible for brands to see that. I think sometimes it takes a step back, you know, you have to take a step back and look at it. And I think it's talking to your fans and the people who support you, seeing what they want and, or if they're unhappy, why they're unhappy. I think, you know, there's also, we're not going to be able to fix everything and make everyone happy, but it's also just, sometimes it's just listening. Um, you know, sometimes it's going for the person who maybe doesn't have the degree, uh, but has, you know, 10 years of experience in the space and a love for it, you know? Um, 
I've seen a lot in agencies and big companies, you get lost in like, who has the MBA and who has this? How about who has a passion for it? Who loves this? Who can represent your brand and share their enthusiasm, you know, then with the rest of the world in a way that will resonate? I think there's a lot there. And hopefully we will see some of that um, change. Yeah, I think you're right. And I love that too. I think um, I'll tell you, and all these conversations I have are so interesting. And the common denominator I keep coming back to is that listen, 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 you know, listen to your fan. We have a lot of different words for uh, who kind of is on the other end of this relationship, but let's just use the the word fan or consumer or customer. Mm -hmm. It's the universal thing here is, is listening to them to help kind of serve as a compass for you too. So um, Jan, I could talk to you about the industry forever and I may ask you to come back and revisit this conversation too um, because I love it so much. And I think it's a really interesting space to watch. Um, well before this last year, it's always been such a dynamic space and you've been such a trailblazer in it too. So thank you so much for your time and your insights and uh, giving us a little bit of your knowledge and, and view into your world and legendary comics as well. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Anytime. Thanks.